Welcome to Indie Live Radio on Monday the 8th of March, International Women's Day and you're listening to a special edition of the daytime show hosted by Marlene Halliday and myself Valerie Gold. We have some great guests for you. This is the third in a series of four programmes featuring interviews with a wide range of different women. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the four guests that I've interviewed today. And Marlene will tell you about the guests that she's been interviewing. So the first guest that you'll be hearing from is Sheena Wellington. Now, some of you might have got to hear about Sheena when she sang very famously at the reopening of the Scottish Parliament in 1999 when she sang an unforgettable rendition of A Man's A Man For All That. But Sheena is far more important than just that one occasion. She's a hugely respected traditional Scottish singer and her repertoire covers everything from burns to ballads to the best of contemporary songwriting and she has sung some amazing songs and written them as well. She's a passionate, articulate advocate for traditional music, a great Dundonian, and you're going to hear a song later on that she wrote called The Women of Dundee. She's played a leading role in the fight for recognition, status and improved funding for Scotland's traditional arts. And she's had many honours bestowed on her for her work, including doctorates from the Universities of St Andrews and Dundee and the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, now known as the Conservatoire, of course. So you'll be hearing from Sheena later. After that, you'll be hearing from Leslie Riddick. So where do I start with Leslie? Now Dr Leslie Riddick, she's found time to do a PhD. She's a journalist and broadcaster with her own podcasting and broadcasting company. She's written many books on a variety of subjects from the Nordic countries to huts. Many of you will have recently seen the films that she co-produced in the Nation series on the Faroe Islands, Norway, Iceland and lately Estonia. After that we're going to hear from Tina Yu and Tina is a native Glaswegian but her family come from Hong Kong so she's part of the Scottish Chinese community and she talks quite a lot about the particular experience that that gives her. She's also an advocate for uh, the rights of people with disabilities and she's been a community councillor so uh, Tina will be talking about various things connected with that. After that you're going to hear from Jean Anderson and Jean is a very long established and passionate advocate of nuclear disarmament. She has been Scottish Secretary of CND and she's now the Secretary of SNP CND and she will be talking about the women who fought and struggled for nuclear disarmament, in particular the International Treaty to Ban Nuclear Weapons. As well as that, 
You'll hear music and poetry at various points throughout the programme, so we really hope that you enjoy this third programme in our series of four. Hi, this is Marlon Halliday here. The two people I interview who are in this show are Animesha McCoy and Eileen Budd. Animesha is an old, old friend of mine we met years ago through our mutual interest in Buddhism. She's an American, brought up in Florida, one of the rocket kids, because her dad worked for NASA. But she's lived in the United Kingdom now for a long time. By training, she's a linguist. So when she found herself living on Lewis, the natural thing for Animesha to do is to learn to speak Gaelic. She's now fluent. She's worked at the Gaelic College in Skye. She did a master's there. Now she's now just starting a PhD with Glasgow University, for which they needed someone who spoke Gaelic. So Animesha is an American Scot who speaks Gaelic. Now Animesha's ancestors on both sides of the family are Scottish. So she reflects a little bit on how and why human beings migrate from one part of the planet to another and in her case, migrate back again. The second person I interviewed who's in this programme is Eileen Budd. Eileen is an artist, she's a book illustrator, a map maker, she's got a young toddler around her feet as well, and she makes videos. She's created a series of 60-second videos covering those bits of Scottish history and Scottish people we tend not to have heard about. And she's got another series of little 60-second videos all in support of the campaign for Scottish independence. One of the things we got chatting about was the assumption that everything will carry on improving, whereas actually it can be two steps forward, one step back, or even one step forward, two steps back. One of the things that Ireland said really strongly is, Yes, that happens, but the work must continue. And that's what the track's called. The work must continue. So really hope you enjoy the programme. Our next interviewee is somebody who will be well known to all of you, especially if you have that fantastic memory of the reopening of the Scottish Parliament in 1999. And our next guest is Sheena Wellington. Hello, Sheena. Valerie, how are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Fine. As fine as you can be in the middle of a pandemic, you know. Yeah, I've had my vaccine. I've had my first shot, so we're getting there. That's brilliant. I'm glad to hear that. So have I. (laughs) And uh, so it's a wee bit of a chink of light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm so delighted that you uh, managed to find time to speak to us today, Sheena. And um, as you know, we're doing a a special programme for International Women's Day. The theme of this uh, event this year is Choose to Challenge. Um, And the questions they ask are, how would you help forge a gender equal world? And they ask people to celebrate women's achievements and raise awareness against bias. Now, that's something that I think you know in some of your songs. I think that's something you've always done. So I wonder if you'd like to tell us a wee bit about what that means to you. Do you think women in song and in music play an important part in that challenge? I I think yes, and I think more so. Um, One of the things that excites me about young singers particularly is that they're going beyond 
well, not beyond the tradition, because there was a lot of songs in the tradition which actually spoke to the condition of women. And I always have this feeling that a great many of our, our ballads, the muckle sangs of Scotland, were actually formed by women, not not necessarily originally created by women, because a lot of them are old stories, but they were formed by women. And they sound as if a woman knows what she's speaking about, whether it's, uh, you know, she's got a way to get killed for having an illegitimate child, whether she's been married off against her will and all the rest of it. There's that amount of feeling. So I think women have always challenged in that way. And I think what excites me about people like Karine Polward and several others, Iona Fife, um, Hannah Rarity, they are writing and seeking out songs that actually challenge. And sometimes they do it so well and so subtly that it's not until you actually think about it after that you realise that, that something something different has happened. Because women have always been very important in song. Women have always been very important in the tradition. I mean, I've met in my time when there's been families at a festival or something like that. And father is the singer. You'll say to him, oh, the kids have, oh, the kids got their song to me. And you say, what about your wife? Oh, the wife's no a singer. And you go to the children, uh, you know, grown-up children usually, and you, you ask them who they got their songs from. And they will tell you, oh, the mother sung round the house all the time, all the time. So they actually pick their songs up for the mother. So women were were always important. But I'm excited now about the fact. And of course, I sung my own songs have tended to be about the women, the, the women of Dundee is, is very much because I was brought up in that environment that women were the breadwinners. That women worked. Yeah. That um, that I, I I was twelve year old and going to the academy, when I realised that there were actually women who did not go out to work, <laughs> uh, who stayed at home and made apple and blackberry crumble for lunch. And <laughs> what you know, <laughs> we got a piece soup and a piece, and that was it. You know, we were well enough fed, but there, there wasn't any time for folderols except at the weekend. But um, I think that, that formed my opinions, my character and all the rest of it. Because um, it was, it's natural. Dundee is quite um quite unique in in because of all the, the jute mills and so on. It is quite unique, isn't it? In Dundee for almost a hundred years we had the highest proportion of working women anywhere in the United Kingdom and it was actually higher than most of Europe. Wow. Because just because the jute mills, the trade itself lent itself because lent itself to women working, as did the cotton trade, of course, and they were cheaper. And there wasn't a lot of work for the men. There was the shipyard, there was the merchant navy, there was the army, but there wasn't actually that much work for the men, apart from a couple of foundries and sawmills and things like that. So it was the women who did the the work. When the women were in the mills, did they sing when they were working? Oh, they sung all the time. Um, they were, and for considering that the place, the, the racket in the place was quite horrendous. I mean, I grew up among the mills, and when you walked past the door, the big door, if it was open, you could hear the clatter. And you could even hear the clatter when the doors were shut because it was very, very noisy and therefore they couldn't hear each other but they were all expert lip readers. <laughs> they would start a song and everybody would read what she was singing and you would get this whole line of, you know, maybe 80 to 100 people 
or their looms on the flat, all singing the same song at the same time, which is quite extraordinary when you think about it. They were, in spite of the noise of the looms? In spite of the noise, they could hear it. And they were great at parodies. I mean, they could pick up a popular song of the day and um, they would make it into something entirely different. You know, there used to be a one she wears red feathers and a hula hula skirt and they <laughs> turn that into Oh, she wears red knickers and her feathers torn shirt. <laughs> most, of, most of them were not were not really suitable for a mixed company or anything like that. But enjoyable, very funny uh, and very witty. They were good that way and they, they sang it. They just sang because they liked to sing. And it probably probably helped because they it would it would actually keep their blood circulating and it would also help to clear their lungs because of course there wasn't a proper ventilation in these places. It was very dangerous, wasn't it? Oh I, I mean nobody had heard of that kind of thing. There wasn't any masks on. Um, jute produces very fine fibers that get up your nose and into your mouth. I mean my aunts used to come home in the evening and they would cough up little balls of jute, you know, like a cat. My goodness. So a lot of them had bronchitis. Most of them were deaf by the time they were 50, or at least had significant hearing loss. And that's when their ability to both lip-read and use sign language was um, come in. And that was useful, because I remember going down the tune on a Saturday afternoon with one or other of the aunties, and she would see a friend at the other end of the street and they would wave, they would just make signs. And she would say, right, um, we're meeting, we're meeting Bella at kids at three o'clock. She's just about to get the bear and shoes. And you think, <laughs> you know that, you know. <laughs> All this thing of tram cars are going past and people are yattering. And, but they, they, they were able to communicate very well, which just goes to show you that human spirit will prevail. Women are extremely resilient. They've needed to be, of course, because they've historically, over millennia, been they've, they've actually always been a, in a way a separate culture. They, you know, the they've actually been the sustaining culture and possibly the richer culture. But that's maybe just me being prejudiced in favour of women. <laughs> well, I think you're entitled to you on International Women's Day, and certainly your wonderful song um, plays tribute to women, um, the women of your family and the women at Dundee, and then it mentions, you know, the men they weren't lazy, but the work was hard to find, the parish and the means tested to face, but a lassie's hands are nimble and a lassie's wages smart. So the women owed and he worked in their place. It's absolutely fantastic lyrics. I love that song. Thank you. They would take young boys on when they left the school, but they they had to get a wage rise when they were sixteen. So they were just sacked. Yeah. You know, it wasn't I think any. That happens nowadays, doesn't it? So you hear I think a, it does. Apprentices getting taken on, you know, and paid really cheap wages, and then once they're qualified, they they take on somebody else and they get rid of them, you know. It's quite shameful, really. Well, both of my grandmothers were founder members of the Union of Jute and Flax Workers, which was started in Dundee and had, after, had to have 50% of its board had to be women. Um, and they fought for better conditions. I mean, they had problems with the male trade unions because they thought they were getting a bit uppity, as they would. <laughs> Um, but they did do a lot towards getting better conditions. And you look 
you look at what is happening now and you think, damn it, where did it go wrong? For a, for, for a short time, for a very short historical time, we were getting there with better conditions for working people. Yeah. Suddenly we've... Well, Brexit's not going to help, is it? You know, that's... that's you know, that somebody was, and that I was talking to the other day, was just saying, you know, this idea of getting rid of red tape, you know, that red tape are, is the the regulations that look after you and protect your rights and protect your health, protect your rights as a worker. Etc. Yeah, that's what red tape is. We've got more red tape, of course, with Brexit because people have got to fill in fourteen form forms to get to get anywhere and do things. It's absolute madness, the whole damn thing. But there. To get back to the music side of it, I'm interested in what you're saying about young women sort of taking over the baton and the mantle. You mentioned Iona Fife and Hannah Rarity, um, both wonderful singers. I've heard them both recently. Interestingly, both at um, you know independence functions because they're both supporters of independence. And Iona Fife, she belongs to up near my neck of the woods. She comes from Huntley. And um, she, I th one another thing I notice is that she's very much challenging um, the use of Scots, uh, in that her songs uh, sung in Scots have been classified on, I think it's by Spotify, as English, and she's fighting to try and get that classified as Scots. One thing Iona doesn't do is sing much in English. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Dinner bloomer. No, I, I think that is great, and I think. I think I, I've got a lot of faith in our young, our young singers particularly. I have to say, I mean, some of the some of the ones that didn't sing, play fiddles and all the rest, but are also pretty feisty and they're building building their own bands and they're they're fighting against this thing that um, you can only a festival can only have one all female band. Think, all right, we had that thirty five, forty years ago. People would say, well, yeah, we'd like to have you at the festival, but we've got a girl in already. <laughs> might tell you. And they get, I think one time they, they told me they couldn't have me because they had Catherine Pickell, the piper, Thumbrian piper. I mean, Catherine, Catherine, can, Catherine can sing, don't get me wrong, but she's not a singer, so why why having her meant they couldn't have me? Well, they don't say to a man, hey, sorry, we can't have you as a singer because we've got another male singer. <laughs> no, no. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't say to any all-male band. We can't have you because we've got a band already that's all guys. Yeah, it's very strange. I, I didn't know that. That's news to me, what you're saying. It just shows. It's sometimes a bit more subtle than that. But I, I have known in recent... I, I, I was quite shocked to find just a couple of years ago that one very good group, who are all women, young women, were told that they couldn't, you know, that a festival couldn't book them because they already had a band. An entirely different band with entirely different instruments and an entirely different take on the music, but they couldn't have two all-female bands. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous and it ought to be illegal actually to come up with that kind of nonsense. But as you say, it may be done in more subtle ways without actually being explicit. I must say, um, I bought the ticket, the online ticket for um, the season ticket for Celtic Connections this year, and there were loads of female artists, uh, so it's great to see. So, um, but they were absolutely stunning, weren't they? You know, yeah, you, it was you wonderful. Go, oh, I was, I was thrilled to the 
to bits with him. I loved Cherish the Ladies. Mm -hmm. I thought their concert was tremendous. I loved Karine's concert. And yes. The, I'm going to learn that Come A Wine song. I must I must get in touch with one and say, look, I know you haven't put it out yet, but can I, can I have it? You know? <laughs> um, and another uh, young female singer that's really doing so wonderfully just now is Siobhan Miller. She, <sighs> she, she sings a lot of really socially conscious political songs as yeah, well. She, well, the Millers are socially conscious but and political yeah you know she was brought up that way I yep. mean Siobhan I, 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 because Siobhan is Siobhan and because I've known Siobhan since before she was Siobhan you know um, I remember her being born and I remember her mother being expecting and and I remember her being born and, and she's, she's always been my wee pet lamb and I, I, I'm, I'm making a conscious effort not to always promote her which is a bit unfair, really, because I'm only promoting her because she's exceedingly good. <laughs> no, Siobhan, Siobhan is wonderful, and she writes the most... She sings the most gorgeous songs. She writes some very good ones as well. And she, oh, there's futures in safe hands. Um, well, the futures in safe hands, as far as singing is concerned, I'm well... Yeah, Mayfina, can I ask you then, just as we sort of finish off our talk, because I don't want to take up all your day, <laughs> um, can I ask you... Um, if you had a message then to young women, either in music or just generally in terms of challenging the the kind of things that you've talked there about, what would your message be? Well, my message to them would be just be the best you can be. Believe in yourself. And any man that tells you that you can't do something, it's really no worth bothering about. And if he's your boyfriend, get rid of him. Because he's going to be, he's going to be a misery. He's going to be a nightmare. Tell him to sling his hook. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Sheena. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking the to you. It's International Women's Day to you and everybody else. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by Leslie Riddick, who's very well known to all of you, well-known broadcaster and independence campaigner. Hello, Res Leslie. Hello there. Well, delighted that you've taken time to speak to us today because I know you're extremely busy. Let's just start straight away. This, this programme, as you know, is a special edition for International Women's Day. And the theme of this year's International Women's Day is Choose to Challenge. So I thought, Leslie, I would start off just by asking you, in general terms, what does International Women's Day mean to you? Does that have any special resonance? Um, absolutely, it does. Uh, I mean, I was, because it was International Women's Day um, 1995 when I was working at the Scotsman. And that was the day that we produced the women-only edition of the Scots Woman, yes. um, which was entirely written, edited, produced everything by the female staff. I mean, that was, boy, was that a scary thing to do because 
you know, the chances of falling flat on your face with that were so high <laughs> um, in every single different respect, either missing deadlines, having people suddenly unable to do what they thought they could do, or just producing a really boring paper in the end, which actually would just justify everybody's worst ideas about women left to sort of produce dreary consensus that kind of feminists are always, and women are accused of, of tending towards. And happily, it didn't seem to do any of that. Uh, International Women's Day was always a day I registered. That's why it was very much in my mind when I went to the paper and discovered that like every newspaper, it was basically being run by 13 guys in a room, plus me, you know, <laughs> as if one woman could fix that on her own, you know, and so many women will know that in their own life experiences, you know, the 13 guys in a situation, plus you that's meant to come in and somehow do the impossible and essentially undo them their thinking, their consensus, their norms, their interests, their defaults, their joint experience of life, their everything that they don't even see like a following wind on a bike. You never know you had it behind you till you turn around and realize it was there. And these guys have got a following wind all their lives they don't recognize. And then one woman has to be the one that stands in the midst of all that and says, chaps, you've always had a wee bit of help. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so wonderful metaphor the idea the wind at your back that you don't know it, that's a fantastic metaphor yeah so so that was a great experience doing that special edition then well it was and it sort of bolted women's day in because after that a lot of women in african newspapers uh loved the idea and because of course day began to dawn right around the time zones of the world everybody woke up going, oh God, it's International Women's Day. You know, what will we have to do this year? Thinking something worthy, dutiful, boring. And then by gum, you know, in Scotland, that the women have produced a national newspaper. So that night, everybody had the same bright idea, which was, why don't we phone that woman up? All the way through the night, I got no sleep that night, but it was fine. As every time zone woke up, thought the same thing. Uh, but what happened was the African women journalists were just dying to do the same thing themselves. And because between them, they didn't have the seniority in papers or the skills necessary to do it, I ended up getting sucked into creating a charity called Africa Woman and spent seven years on it. Wow. Using the internet and British council offices to sort of essentially train a group of women up in first four, then eight countries across four time zones to use the internet, write what, what would be proper news stories and produce a sort of online paper every month, which was, I mean, frustrating and hilarious in equal measure, I can tell you, with occasional events where we all met for training. But I felt that should be the minimum because most training stuff in Africa is basically a, a business of just handing your budget to British Airways and Six Continents Hotel Group. You know, we're not spending money on that, just going and repeating things over and over and over again. We should be able, even at that point in the, in the early 2000s, we should have been able to use the internet. That's what we did. And did you actually travel to Africa as well? Or was I it too, right. I went down the Zambezi in a whitewater raft, capsizing once and living to tell the tale down 22 rapids. Um, I, You know, because I, I was to, to all these eight countries at some point, um, would take a couple of days off for myself. And I mentioned there that's a subject very close to my heart because as a wee girl, I lived in Zambia for three oh, years. Oh, right. Yeah, well, I was actually in northern Rhodesia when mm -hmm. I went out, but it gained its independence. Aye, well, actually, one of the countries was Zambia, so I was in Lusaka, which was a, a great 
event in Midway Film there, had yeah. to smuggle the camera in pretty much. Um, massive. You've got to be so brave and bold, actually, to take all that equipment into a country that, you know, to be really honest, at that point could could you know that equipment could just have gone sideways at customs so it was i it was very very eventful and and, and always very funny you know um, i remember going to uh it wasn't um an international women's day but with a posse of the gals we went to the earth summit in 2005 i'm wanting to say in johannesburg and did live papers every day african women papers handing out tens of thousands of papers to everyone all the delegates the, we had a great picture of the uh, south african polis standing in the middle of a traffic jam reading african women <laughs> um so yeah it was good fun but the experience of working with these african women must have been quite unique hilarious well totally and very humbling you know i mean we but the challenge for me was to get them to be honest and real about what was happening to them because they were tending to do this thing where they would sort of discard their own experience as being sort of irrelevant and look for what they regarded as proper news. I mean, I remember trying to make a point, for example, the um, World Trade Organization was and probably still is trying to privatize water supplies in African countries, despite the fact that most of the uh, folk on that board are Americans with a public water supply. So uh, many of these countries are pretty corrupt. And one of the uh, gals came from Kenya um, she had a bath in her in her house, which had never seen water in it because she refused to bribe the official in the way necessary to get it connected up to the water. So nonetheless, just to make the, the bath not look too daft, she'd actually lashed out and bought some taps for it. So <laughs> I thought this is great because this actually encapsulates far better than some story about a whole lot of facts and figures. We had them at the bottom, but you need colour at the start, you know. So. I said, right, the front page is going to be the story of Grace's taps. That's the story. So we need some pictures of taps. And nowadays you can just get onto the internet, get whatever you want. But because we were working out of a shoebox basically there, we had to get pictures of taps. Um, we didn't, the wee place we were staying only had a shower. So we ended up in this old battered minibus that we'd hired going past a sort of hardware showroom. So I sent one of the gals out and said, just go in, get a brochure, come back out, take a picture of the brochure, Bob's your uncle, it'll be fine. So she kind of came back and says, you know, they will not give me the brochure. They said, you know, because because she's black. So uh, so I, I had to go out. And of course, I came out with an armful of brochures. That's terrible. And, you know, you realise at every turn how this works. But we, we managed to, to do that. The other thing about them that was so funny was... If, if they were given any time to themselves, they would somebody would find a sister or a cousin somewhere locally and they would get, be getting dresses made in the ladies' toilets. <laughs> Everywhere. Ghana, you know, South Africa, Zambia. It, it really didn't matter. It was, all in a, it was all a good reason to get the local material. And they would actually be having fitting sessions when they said they were going popping off to the loo. So it, it took me a while to get wise to it. On the other hand, really humbling stuff like I can't I think it was Ghana we were at a training thing and the women were all in a in a hotel they all had a room each and I discovered the next day they'd all checked out of that room they were sleeping outside and in a corridor to save money to feed their children so what can you do you know because how could you object to that essentially I should just have given them all a hundred dollars a day and let them sleep wherever they wanted I remember in Uganda having one lassie that came from Zimbabwe 
her Zim dollars were absolutely useless. Mm-hmm. You know, she just she just quietly lived on bananas for three days. Mm-hmm. She had a clump of bananas. She just peeled one off. You know, she had three bananas a day. That's what she lived on because that's what she was living on in Zimbabwe. So that's that experience is is a true encapsulation of international women. You know, it's not just lip service. It's a true um, encapsulation of the collaboration between women internationally. That's fantastic anecdotes, Leslie. So the theme this year, Choose to Challenge, let's take it a bit nearer home now, looking at independence. How do you see women being able to challenge the might, the British state, if you like. How do you see the, the role of women in the fight for independence here in Scotland? Well, I suppose people will automatically think of the leadership roles of Nicola Sturgeon, Kate Forbes, uh, Philippa Whitford, Joanna Cherry, Mary Black. You know, there's so many, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm conscious already. I'll have forgotten very many prominent women. But it, it's extraordinary that the most powerful prominent speakers and the Bonnie Fechters, if you like. Are, are women within the SNP and long may that continue. But I mean, wider than that, the thing that is noticeable is that, that the current polls suggest that whilst women were the ones who were wary of independence first time around, they're actually the ones who are leading the desire for independence second time around. You know, who knows? Because nobody's spending enough time to drill down in that and keep focusing on it enough to ask some obvious questions as to why that would be. The mighty John Curtis, with all his professor and sir thingies that I feel reluctant to use, observes that, you know, in the in the old days, he had a very much women are the safe pair of hands, they're the cautious pair of hands. And they are. I mean, we are because, you know, for all the highfalutin stuff and the big sort of veins throbbing at the side of the head stuff, women are the ones that have to think about. And in practical terms, how does that work? So if they don't get a sort of good sense of how does that work, it's really, you know, it's it, it tends to leave women a little bit like, mm, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, but you know, we're going to end up picking up the pieces here. Whereas you could say that at the moment, the safe option is to get out of the UK. <laughs> you know? And and I mean, it doesn't need, obviously, many of us pro- reached that sort of perspective a long time ago. But the significant thing is that women are almost the canary down the coal mine. You don't pull a fast one over women you know you don't manage to just get women to run with their emotions only and so the 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 head and the heart of women is looking at this now and saying for the safety and the long-term possibilities of our children having a european future not just bound up in this mean little british suspicious little state we have to do a thing now that may be a bit scary that does involve some risk but we see now there are risks involved in stagnation Mm -hmm. so that's a challenging thought because it's challenging the norms of how women are seen um and if 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 true and if it continues that statistic because women are the ones who will tend to come out and vote as well that will be the one that carries the day I certainly hope so. One thing I noticed recently was that the new membership organisation that's launched, Now Scotland, they have a a committee of 15 and they didn't have any mechanisms in place to ensure gender balance, but they've ended up with either eight or seven of the 15 are women. It's eight. Which Mm. is fantastic. And that that just happened organically. Mm -hmm. And none of them are big names or 
very famous, but they're all women that are committed to independence. And so I'll be watching that with interest as well. Yeah, that's that's been a great turn up, just as you say. I mean, it's the case that there's at least four of the guys who are in there who are big names. That rather diminishes even further the number of ordinary guys they got on. But still, you know, yes, it's great. And and in a way, the thing that, that women tend to champion is the position of the average person, not the elites, not the not the kind of big names and so on. So that's where the presence of women in something acts as a kind of democratic ballast, not very nice way to put it perhaps but it causes a stiffening of resolve you remember what you're on about because women keep tending to say yeah that's all right for you high flyers but what about everybody you know what about the small people what about the families so the the presence of women in an organization is a guarantee that they will keep trying to unravel the, the the naughty bits the bits that don't really serve everybody very well and the second thing is women will always emphasize the, the importance of care. You know, this is care as a function in the state, but care for one another and care for the way that we're trying to do things. Now, so, you know, I think some of the gals involved in this, it's a real blooming challenge because it's far easier to keep your heads down, sit at the back, wait for other people to make mistakes. And we've all learned to do that. You know, there's mouthy folk like me that just kind of escaped. I don't know quite how I escaped at birth. Perhaps it was being brought up in Ireland. I don't know. But there's a learned silence in Scotland. It's deep amongst many Scots. It's very deep amongst working class Scottish women. So to to get an organisation where those women have volunteered for something, perhaps in the knowledge, perhaps it's only going to strike them soon, <laughs> that they are going to have to voice up. That's what they've volunteered for. That's an extraordinary achievement for democracy. Well, that's so true. Thank you very much for all these insights you should share with us today um, on this special International Women's Day edition, Leslie. And if you get any final thoughts, just a final thought you'd like to share with any women out there listening or men on International Women's Day. Well, yes, I would like to say well done you, Valerie, and the team for pulling this together because the classic thing that women tend to do is take the time to weave together stories like this to sort of manage to capture what's positive about life, not necessarily just what's always tugging us apart and all the rest of it. And and that that's life. Life is a woven together story. And so, you know, really, I'm I'm so that's why I'm always really happy to come on to anything that Indie Live's doing, but particularly this one because it would have been easy to let it pass because it feels, you know, sometimes like we're just doing nodding kind of to a date. But this is more than that because this is this is putting forward a kind of vigorous face for International Women's Day, and that's what we should always seek to have. Thank you very much. Our next guest is Tina Yu, and rather than give you an introduction to Tina, I'm going to ask Tina to introduce herself. Tina, would you like to just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi everyone, hi, my name is uh, Tina Yu, so I'm born in Glasgow. My family were originally from Hong Kong, my dad's were in the sort of late 60s and my siblings kind of came later on, and, um, and I'm probably... Probably, uh, I've lived kind of most in the West End of Glasgow for most of my life. And for myself, I currently work as a policy officer for a disability charity. 
and I've worked in the kind of field of equality for a number of years. So my first job I worked for um, as a project worker, counselling out specifically actually um, offering counselling to Chinese women who survived um, child sexual abuse, kind of, kind of quite heavy, and then later on moving towards kind of more community health and and probably as many people kind of joined the public independence campaign quite late in life. We didn't get independence back in 2014. And I think at that, I was kind of really, really disappointed. And I think probably because I've worked uh, pre-perception of what politics was, probably because when I worked in local authority, then I remembered um, when I did join uh, uh, the campaign and joined the, kind of, and joined the SNP party as well. And I, I remember uh, one of the MPs kind of said, well, if you want to get be involved, you know, get involved in your local community politics so I could, uh, so somebody kind of got me into joining my local community council so I was a secretary for four years so learned a lot about politics but and enjoyed it at the time but it was a lot of work and probably for folk who are maybe thinking of a career in politics it's an eye-opener and good training as well so but I kind of took a step back because I wanted to do some other things as well because it consumed so much time you know and you would recommend to other folk if there yes, were uh-huh, yes, uh-huh. to other women that uh, the community council is a good place to start? Yes, because you get to interact with actual councillors, interact with different organisations and, and, you know, I kind of laugh, I think, and, and sometimes it is can be like a bit kind of like, you know, people have kind of seen that viral web clip of the kind of council down in, uh, down in England and sometimes it can be that way but I also have made a lot of good friends as well so but it gives you good grounding as in you're on your feet and you're dealing with different people and you don't really know what to expect but I, I guess I probably had a wee bit of that trade in working you know for a local authority when when you do get a lot of that from the public you don't know, know what to expect you know? so professionally and in your own um spare time you've been really active and you know giving a voice for other people yeah because I, I think a lot of the kind of members and i think they in particular a lot of community councils find it difficult to recruit young people so so, so i found and as i really had to get them into uh, technology and I set up Facebook and Twitter and things like that and they were like oh you know so, so it was all it's all, it all that kind of things as well. Lately um, what I have been involved in which has been lovely you know under Covid and I guess I've always been passionate with kind of social justice and that kind of thing probably because of the work that I've been doing but also myself as, as a woman of colour as well so in a way it's very hard to separate you know you know, in your daily life and your professional life, you could be faced with um, discrimination and things like that. And especially with COVID-19, it has been very difficult. And especially for a lot of people of um, East Asian heritage, there's been a lot of kind of things. And I've experienced that myself during the beginning of lockdown, wearing a face mask and people seeing me and they deliberately coughed in my face, you know, that kind of things, you know. But yeah, yeah. So, so, so I've made kind of friends and one of my friends who's an actor down in London, they've set up a COVID-19 anti-racism group, which is mainly made up of a lot of English organisations. But from that, there's also a new Scottish charity that's set up in Edinburgh that are supporting people. So called uh, uh, East and South East Asian Scotland. Um, and it, uh, it's got the hashtag ESA Scotland. So Kimmy, so, so I don't know if you might have seen it in papers, there has been quite a few incidents, especially in Edinburgh. So, so, so the COVID-19 anti-racism group that's set up by some concerned citizens to address the increase in racism and hate crime towards um, British East and Asian Chinese communities. And I think in the field that I work in, hate crime has also increased um, people against people with disabilities as well. So I think it's been very difficult. And, and do you think that's 
a byproduct of the pandemic? Uh, yeah, I think the pandemic basically has always been around, but I think the pandemic has probably accelerated a lot of these inequalities. So as you can see from people that have lost their jobs, and, and then you look at a lot of the high death rate and things like that with people who are BME, and it's, it's all to do with inequalities. So it's probably what it's done, it's accelerated it. It's always been there. It's always been there, but it's accelerated it. And I think a lot a bit of... like Brexit did. Yes, uh-huh. but I think with the COVID-19, there was a political aspect to it, and where I'm not going to mention that, because he's gone now, you know, in America, the previous mm-hmm. president. Yeah. You know, that, that has created a lot, a lot of xenophobia and... Yeah. You know, so I think it's all mixed, and and I think and I think when when things are hard for people, then people do get frightened, and what do they do? They pick on people that are weak. You know, and that's what happens with marginalised groups. So it, it so, makes me really angry because I think well, things are hard enough for folk during the pandemic as it is, mm-hmm. but if you actually, if you then throw increased racism and harassment into the mix, that just makes it even more difficult and challenging. I'm really, that makes me angry and very disappointed. Tell me though about, you were saying um, that some of the things that you've been... Yeah, so, so when Black Life um, Matters kind of happened, uh, I know we all saw the stuff on TV and things like that, I had quite mixed emotion about the Black Life Matters movement, and especially in the UK and the pulling down the statues. So one hand you felt, oh, uh, I don't need to kind of explain myself or prove it, but then the next minute you kind of felt like, oh, are, is, is this going to become some people joining the bandwagon? And it, it's not just about the statues, it's about more than that, you know? So so it's kind of, and when, and then you always feel that BME, you feel like your things are used in a tokenistic way, you know? So so and I think at that time I came across on the internet, uh, Woodlands Community, like it was a, one of the previous workers um, set up a Black Lives Matter kind of Zoom kind of chat group. And it, that was lovely. So that was made up a very mixed group. Uh, there were kind of Scottish kind of white people there that because they were kind of a lot of people that wanted to learn because they did, they kind of learned about things. And I think the Black Lives Matters raised a lot of issues for people when they were looking at white privilege and things like that. And being people were talking a lot about trauma. So in in in, in essence, I think the Black Lives Matters for a lot of people kind of probably raise a trauma for them because trauma that people get stressed that people going through on a day to day basis. So for myself. Sometimes you're thinking, you know, be it at work or professionally, you're thinking, oh, if someone was horrible towards you, are they just a horrible person or are they racist to you? And it's co- you're constantly in your head, in your mind, thinking that. And, and that's that's quite stressful. And then sometimes, Absolutely. so, you know, instead of, you know, that kind of thing. So that's lovely. And that's and that's on the Woodlands. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to Woodlands community. And I was fortunate enough as well, they had asked me for Chinese New Year to do a wee, um, a wee Zoom session. So I facilitated a workshop just kind of, so my, my, my love, I love kind of foods and because of lockdown, can't go to restaurants and can't do this. So the only way just to recreate my Chinese New Year, which normally I would go to my sister and she would cook tons, but can't do that. So, so it was just kind of different. So sorry, I missed that because I live in Woodlands too. I know, I know. I, 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 think, I, think, I think I was a wee bit not sure how it was going to go, so I didn't quite advertise it. <laughs> I mean, I've been at some of your events that you've organised in the past, you know, um, down with the, the Christmas lights, you know, down. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Gosh, that's just around the corner from me. And uh, I know that through, and I think it was you that invited me along to that. Um, I've been at more than one of your events and uh, through the community council. Uh, they're always fantastic. Yeah, 
I know it was always quite funny. And I think we had the, the winter girls and then they had one of the staff members and uh, the managers, I think, dressed up as someone knew the the the, 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 the Partick Thistle Football Club and they dressed up as oh, Kingsley. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the women that dressed up as Kingsley and as one weekend kind of picked her, that was quite hilarious. Good fun. <laughs> it was good fun. So, so it's, yeah, the, 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 and that's kind of lovely and doing it, and that was the stuff. That was kind of a lot of community stuff, and that was probably when I got involved in my local community, and it was nice, and we done a lot of stuff, and thankfully able to sort of save the Woodside Library and things like that, you know, and hopefully. And yeah, that was amazing. In fact, I think one of the events I was at actually took place inside the library. Yes, we did that because we wanted, um, because I think there was a danger of the library was going to shut because it had problems with the roof and yeah. cost too much, and and but it's really much very much community so and the Woodlands committee they, they offer a really they have um they have lots and lots of different sessions and they have the kind of the garden kind of allotment kind of area as well but they also do a, a neighborhood food service it's in partnership with uh, Queen's Cross Housing Association and uh, community central halls and as it's International Women's Day would you say that women play a particularly positive role in the community here I, th- I think women probably because like a lot of kids are like homeschooling and I think women who are maybe parents and mothers are probably having to play a bigger part in looking after and being carers and it's always and it and I think whether it's pandemic or not pandemic it's always been women who are the nowadays um uh, for married couples both kind of partners kind of work whatever but women have to play a bigger part you know there's a kind of caring duties elderly parents that you know so it's it's always been and I guess for myself um my, my upbringing, my family, my mum's always been was a very strong woman, so I've always kind of had a very strong, and my sisters are, are quite dominant, you know, so I think and women that's been strong, you know, men, men kind of, they earn money and then they spend it on themselves. You better but, be careful what you're saying here. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, but, but and, and, and I think women, women's that hold things together, I think, and, and I think that's, and then I think, and I think the capacity to kind of think about others as well, and not just yourself it's always been maybe as women there's a kind of innate maybe I'm not sure how much is nature how much is that's another debate how much is nurture tell me um theme of international women's day this year choose to challenge and it strikes me that that you're doing quite a lot of that and in more than one way what would you say that theme means to you choose to challenge do you think it's important yeah i think it is you know and i and i think it's about challenging in your own way because i think a lot of people think well like you know for example like my husband like obviously someone who is not of color like for them to understand racism it's quite difficult and then they would say oh then you need to challenge it all the time because no because you can't do it all the time because that would be exhausting and it's about and you need to understand like you need to choose your own battles as well and then even though sometimes I may be silent I might not choose to silent does not mean I'm a pushover as well it depends on how much support you have and and, and I feel like it's all about um as International Women's Day is to support other women and not be you know to offer that and for me and early on in my career I feel thankful I had a lot of other female colleagues around me and um, Chinese women when I had my first job I didn't have a clue I remember when I left uni and I, and I had my first job and I'm like I can't do this and I went back to my church and said I can't do this you know it's like, I don't I know nothing they've hired me but they made a mistake as with most kind of graduates because you have theoretical knowledge but you don't have any practical um so that, that was which which is why um, I'm also involved in another women's network, which is the Scottish Minority Ethnic Women's Network, because I feel like I've benefited from people mentoring me and giving me that support, like and and where they go and these kind of things really help. And sometimes even if it's 
not so much is this somebody to listen to because because a lot of times you could be very isolated as a woman or a woman of color and things have happened at work or whatever and you just want to offload and speak to and sometimes it's better when you speak to someone and and you know so for me so and just going back to your question again Val which was that, that what choose to challenge means. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, I think you've answered it really comprehensively and very eloquently, Tina, I would say. Um, the idea that I, I would totally agree that, you know, the support and comradeship and um, mentoring of other women is invaluable. I mean, I'm retired now, but throughout my whole career, um, that's what I found that, you know, yeah. the support of your colleagues um, when things get really hard mm-hmm. uh, is invaluable, really. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, think, I think the other thing is always to be open and always to, to be open to learning. If someone always if someone says to you, I know everything, then they don't know everything. I don't think you can ever know everything. So, no, so, it, no. so and I think it's been open and 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 it's learning from different people. And it's not nothing about to do with age or you can learn as much from different with diff- people from different experiences and having that respect. And I think if you're kinda open then the lines of communication can be open as well. No. I th- that's a wonderful way to put it and I've really enjoyed listening to you today Tina, thank you so much yeah, for- So the poetry is one of my passions so I'd just like to end uh, with a quote from a civil rights activist uh, which is the, the late Maya Angelou and I remember you telling me that you actually saw her in person Val. Yeah, I met her, yes that's She's right. so jealous So, My mission in life is not merely to survive but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humour and some style. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Tina. That's excellent. And what better way to end than with the words of the late great Maya Angelou. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And here is Tina's favourite poet, Maya Angelou, giving a live recital of one of her most loved and famous poems, Still I Rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. (laughs) Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? (laughs) Don't take it so hard just cause I laugh as if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. (laughs) Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. 
a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling and bearing in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave, and so. There I go. So, hi everyone, this is Marlene again, and this time I'm sitting in a Zoom call with Animesha McCoy. Now, Animesha is American by birth, but she's lived over in this country for a long time. She's now based up on Lewis. Her background is uh, uh, linguistic, so she's uh, trained in languages. So naturally, she moves up to Lewis. What does she do? She learns to speak Gaelic. She then did a degree course in it. She worked at the Gaelic College down in Skye. So she's back on Lewis, and an American Scot speaks Gaelic. Anamisha, kimara ha'u. I should have said, folks, Animesha's doing a wee class for me and some friends because we've been doing Duolingo Gaelic. And, and I'm fine as long as I'm listening and writing. And the minute anyone asks me something, I completely freeze. I asked her how she was, and she said she was well, and asked me, and I froze. I am very well. Hagoma, tapalit. Hagoma, tapalit. <laughs> yeah. So, so I asked Anamisha if she would uh, say something, um, just say something about International Women's Day. She's going to say it in Gaelic first, and then she's going to, for those of us who don't understand all of that, she will tell us what it is in English. So, Anamisha, over to you. Okay, so I got here. Uh, Bishing Koharhuk uh, La Eternagente Naman. Um, I guess she, she, Wakuma Sonija Erson Erson Borani, I guess Hakusper Aking and Bleona Sonrija. I guess she Tug the Gulan. I guess so. Mother Shampoo. Hag Misha Mogulan and Gliana Hoshik me PhD at Ohai Glasahu, Agus Hami a Scrutig Grievichus Nefemit and an Alaba, Le Archeolus Agus Echtri Agus Dulchus. So they this and an they and Dulan Akatain. Tell us, tell us what you've just said, what you've just told the Gaelic speaking world. S- uh, soon will be uh, marking, uh, commemorating uh, the International Women's Day, uh, and it's a special day to for women. So this year we have a challenge. So this year our theme, the theme is choose your challenge. Choose your challenge. 
So my my challenge this year has been I've started a PhD at University of Glasgow uh, investigating the seaweed industry in Scotland with archaeology, history and heritage. Thank you so much for doing that, Anamisha. So, so your forebears uh, were Scottish. They went over to America. Do you know anything about uh, the, the the generations who went over there? Do you know what um, made them go? Well, there are various reasons. Um, you know, immigration has always been a thing in Scotland, uh, particularly from the Highlands. Um, so I would say, like my father's side of the family, the McCoys, they're originally Mackay, and they came from far in Sutherland. Uh, but they didn't leave during the clearances. Uh, they chose to leave. Um, this was happening a lot. This is about 18, no, um, 1760, 1750, 1760. So this is uh, so a lot of people were leaving to find their fortunes, as it were, uh, because because of the poverty. Uh, and also, there was a lot of recruiting going on, and, and uh, especially within the Mackays. Um, you know, just better chances, uh, yeah. given what was going on in the Highlands. Um, of course, at that time, they were trying to keep people in the Highlands to work in the kilping industry. But, uh, but you know, but my, my the Mackays had, had left, you know, in the middle of the 18th century. My mother's side of the family, the Morrisons, um, they came much earlier, about 1690. What? Um, and he, this this chap, had left Glasgow. And his parents were actually from Lewis. Um, we don't know much. I mean, because it's so far back. Um, but he he left from he he'd obviously gone to Glasgow to work in the shipping industry there. At the time, Scotland could not trade as an independent nation. Um, this is just before the Darien disaster and uh, the, the attempt at Scotland having a colony. We have the questions about colonization anyway. But um, so there was this Glaswegian businessman. They kind of operated their businesses under the under the radar, as it were, um, and uh, of the English. So he had operations in Holland, which is very common. Uh, and Boston, sort of Newbury, Massachusetts. So he was recruiting guys, uh, men from from uh, Glasgow, uh, tradesmen. He was like a, a, this Daniel or maybe Donald Marsden. He was a belt maker. Mm-hmm. So this was belt making as as in to do with shipping. So going around cargo and that sort of thing. So you know it would have been a valuable trade. Yeah. So he, I, I would. Would presume he he went just to, uh, you know, it was an opportunity. Yeah. Um, so and then and then and also on my mother's side, also through the Morrisons, uh, another even earlier, another earlier, um, I think it was through this Daniel Morrison's wife, um, was also Scottish. Now her, I think it was her great grandfather, um, was sold as a slave. He came from the Highlands, and he was in the battle, captured at the Battle of Dunbar, and he was forced marched. He was 16 years old. He was forced marched down to Durham, kept in Durham because he survived the, the battle, the march, and staying in the cathedral. So, so many died of of uh, dysentery. Yeah. There's lots of they discovered lots of these Scottish soldiers um, buried 
around Durham Cathedral because it was disused as a cathedral at the time. Uh, this was by Cromwell's forces, you know, the yeah, Battle of the yeah, Three Kingdoms. Yeah. So what they call the Civil War in England, but it's the Battle of the Three Kingdoms outside. <laughs> yeah, because Scotland was a separate nation. Then they, then Cromwell decided he was going to sell these. They didn't want these soldiers going back to Scotland causing trouble. So they sold them as slaves, these ironworks as well as sawmills in Maine and Massachusetts. Mm. So he was sold, he and his two brothers, to, so I think his brothers ended up in Massachusetts and in ironworks, and he ended up in Maine at sawmill. And after a period of time, he, he was free. Um, but, you know, and then the Battle of Worcester again, a lot of those Scottish um, Scottish uh, soldiers yeah, uh, yeah. were sold into the Caribbean. Yeah. You know, there was already a colony in Maine. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, you know, this, they, and they were, they were uh, by and large uh, what they call congregationalists, which is, you know, still Calvinist. <laughs> it's quite similar to, you know, the Presbyterian Church. And prepared to own slaves. So yeah, so these 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 ironworks and mills and things they were they were using. So you know, um, you know, not well. I, I, I don't know about the African slaves. You know, never heard of them being sold to the north. But in addition to to Africans being sold, um, you had that sort of situation yeah, yeah. Um, you also had indentured servants as well people yeah. thrown into jail and transported and you know okay and you're, uh, before Australia happened as, uh, less as a penal colony but you know you're indentured for a period of years for a period of time and then and yeah. then you were probably free it, it's interesting isn't it like so often these patterns that you see happening from way back then what three four hundred years ago and um the same patterns still are still happening across the world. I mean, there is, well, even you know, um, you know, within Highland chieftains, the the factor in the the clan chieftain conspired to to sell some of their own people in Burnaray and Outer Hebrides as slaves. They were going to try and yeah. bundle them onto ships. Yeah. Slave trade's just a whole. A big thing, you know, in human history. In it's human, in horri- human history, all it's over. It's horrendous. Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed. It's yeah. horrendous. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, it's not something that can ever, ever be justified. No. Uh, just to let people know who are listening, because animation and I have been friends for a number of years now, um, but that kind of back backwards, back inwards movement of people back to Scotland. We need we need even more of that and we get folk like yourself, Anamisha, that'd be great. <laughs> I look forward to the day I can call myself you know, have a scash. Uh, uh yeah, I look forward to the day and I will have more of a conversation in Gaelic with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting, oh, we're there. getting there. We're getting there. Anyway, Tapale uh, Anamisha, thank you so much for, for doing this. More than time. <laughs> Hello everybody, my name is Jean Anderson and I'm the secretary of the SNP group within Scottish CND. I'm honoured to have been asked to speak today. Thanks Valerie and Indeed Live. The theme for International Women's Day this year is Choose to Challenge. I'd like to celebrate the women who challenged the idea of nuclear weapons and won a Nobel Peace Prize. Firstly, though, 
a bit of background on the effects of a nuclear blast from a doctor who has witnessed them. The first foreign doctor to arrive in Hiroshima after the nuclear bombing was Dr. Marcel Juno, whose telegrams make chilling reading. On the 30th of August 1945, he reported, visited Hiroshima, conditions appalling, city wiped out, 80% all hospitals destroyed or seriously damaged. Inspected two emergency hospitals, conditions beyond description. Effect of bomb mysteriously serious, many victims apparently recovering, suddenly suffer fatal relapse due to decomposition of white blood cells and other internal injuries, now dying in great numbers. Estimated still over 100,000 wounded in emergency hospitals, sadly lacking bandages and medicines. And that was the effect of just one bomb, which was an eighth of the power of one trident warhead. And each trident submarine can carry up to 96 warheads, enough to cause 768 Hiroshima's, and enough to create a nuclear winter and to destroy the Earth's climate. When the bombs fall, the face of the planet will be forever changed. Radiation and explosives don't choose between people, they kill all indiscriminately, of course. But in the aftermath of a nuclear explosion, women endure suffering that's biological and gender specific. For example, women are twice as likely to develop cancer from radiation. They experience an increased rate of abortion and stillbirths and, mal and malformations, of course, uh, as we have seen following the horrors in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Studies show that the crisis and displacement that would follow result in increased levels of sexual violence, decreased access to justice and increased poverty for women. But women are underrepresented in fields that bear on nuclear policy, such as high-level politics, diplomacy, military affairs, science and technology. When it comes to forums concerned with nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction in general, there's a consistent underrepresentation of women's voices. This gender imbalance is apparent across the board. For example, a comprehensive study from 1980 to the present by the International Law and Policy Institute found that just one in five delegates present at security delegations were women. So that's the challenge. What have we done to meet it? Well, quite a lot, actually. In 2017, the UN adopted the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. The treaty came into force on January the 22nd this year. It makes it illegal for any country which signs the treaty to have nuclear weapons or to allow them across their territory. And it's also the first international treaty on nuclear weapons to address gender issues. It refers to the role of women and the disproportionate impact of nuclear radiation and the aftermath of war on women. The treaty was negotiated by the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, ICANN. It's an international collaboration of many organisations, including our own Scottish CND. And ICANN was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017 for this work. It took 10 years to create the treaty and the negotiations female, featured many female leaders. Many of the most active delegations were led by women, including those from Ireland, New Zealand, the Philippines, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland and Thailand. And Elaine White Gomez of Costa Rica was the negotiating president. The negotiations included 11 international civil organizations led by women, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, 
the oldest international women's peace organization was at the forefront during these uh, negotiations with the UN. There were, of course, many men involved too, but the number of women who worked together to create this treaty is remarkable in the history of international treaty building. So the treaty is a landmark disarmament treaty addressing the gendered impacts and challenging the dominant gender narrative about nuclear weapons. What do I mean by the gendered narrative? Well, the language used in talking about nuclear weapons is deeply gendered. Often those in favour of their use describe weapons using terms they associate with masculinity, such as power and dominance. However, when the debate focuses on the genocidal harm to our bodies and the catastrophic harm to the environment, these arguments are quickly dismissed as weak, emotional and irrational, language they see as feminine. So why does language matter? Because if concerns and feelings considered feminine are dismissed, those with power maintain the status quo. They have policies based on status, mistrust and fear, with no room for international cooperation and peace. So the inclusion in the treaty of the greater harm done to women is a real step forward. To finish, I'd like to mention just some of the women who have achieved this treaty. Beatrice Flynn is the current executive director of ICANN. She accepted a Nobel Peace Prize and delivered the Nobel Lecture in Oslo on behalf of the, the campaign. Dr. Rebecca Johnson was the founding president of ICANN and is now executive director of the Acronym Institute for Disarmament Diplomacy. Ambassador Elaine White Gomez of Costa Rica presided over the 2017 negotiations of the treaty. Kazui Akibayashi, the international president of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, was a leader in the negotiations. Itsumi Nakamitsu is the UN Undersecretary General and High Representative for Disarmament Affairs, a supporter of the treaty. And last but certainly not least, our own Janet Fenton, Vice Chair of Scottish CND, Liaison for ICANN in Scotland, and Women's International League Executive Member. Janet attended the meetings in Geneva and in New York and told people about our Scottish plight with the bombs on the Clyde. There are hundreds more who have devoted their lives to fighting against nuclear weapons, including the few remaining survivors of the American bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, who travel the world to tell their dreadful stories. I salute them and all the others who fought for the treaty and continue to fight for a saner and safer world. With Scottish independence, we'll all be nearer to that goal. Thanks for listening. Now, if you were listening to our show on Friday, you would have heard some great poetry written by Lynn Dugan from Clark's Women for Independence. And we have another poem coming up for you now. It's called Universe, Earth, Mother, and it's written and performed by Lorraine Sinclair, also from the Clark's Wifey. The poem is called Universe, Earth, Mother. Dear Universe, please this year send me a sign to help me find my soulmate for the sake of Auld Lang Syne. But if no sign is shown, then I know I have to do this alone. For I have a mission and a goal. My mission is to secure for my country self-determination for the preservation of this great sovereign nation 
My goal is to save the planet and not rely on coal. Eliminate toxins with greener lifestyles that nourish the soul. Dear Earth, please help Scotland be brave and take independence. The Earth's dying whilst politicians are lying. We must act now. Of that, there is no denying. Dear Mother Nature, please help us to understand and nourish you more. For you provide all nature's wondrous beauty that I truly do adore. It has surely got to be this generation's destiny to leave a healthier planet as our ancestral legacy for our children. sitting here with another of our guests for the International Women's Day special edition daytime show that uh, we're putting together and uh, I'm sitting here with Eileen Budd. So Eileen's um, an artist, a book illustrator, a map maker, she's mother of a toddler and she also she's also the creator of a series of little six to seven videos covering those bits of Scottish history and Scottish people that we tend not to have heard about and another series of six to second videos in support of the campaign for Scottish independence. Eileen, when when you get an email asking if you'd like to contribute to a programme celebrating International Women's Day, what what came to mind? Excited. At first I was like, oh, amazing, fantastic. I started thinking about all the uh, all the women that have uh, influenced me over the years, oh. all the that, you know, as a, you know, from being a child, I would look up to who was doing what. Um, international ones, I think, as well, not just the, just the sort of ones local to me. So I think the first, my first, uh, strong female influences they're always kind of family members aren't they yeah um, yeah, yeah so you know it's obviously my mother and uh my grandmothers particularly one of them who uh was uh was campaigning for in scottish independence back in the 40s huh? she was a bit of a rebel she'd be off blowing up phone boxes and all sorts of things oh. but uh and i started thinking about you know People like Frida Kahlo, oh, um, yes. you know, Babbage, uh, yeah, just so many different, there's so many, there's so many fields in which women have had a massive influence on uh, both historically and, you know, um, culturally. So yeah, just a million things came into my head when, <laughs> when I got your email. Um, and the the theme of it about you know how to challenge yeah. 
gender roles and how you know how do we approach creating a more uh, a more friendly environment where you know young girls have have more female role models and more to look for and and more to to work to uh, again, just a million things came into my head with the possibilities, the things we could do, what we've done so far, and you know what else could we do. So yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, you know, talking to you. So you're definitely in the younger age group of the people that we're 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 talking to for the for the program. And I, I did a couple of interviews yesterday with women who are in their sixties, seventies, and um, and quite a bit of that was looking back to the situation as it used to be when they well when they were their your age really or you know or, or coming out of university, a young family, that sort of stage. Of life, and um, we we were looking back, and and everyone was acknowledging that things have changed for the better in terms of um, assumptions about what women would or wouldn't be suitable for, you know, to do to contribute. Mm-hmm. So we were always we were we were saying, yeah, it's got a lot better, but everyone was also saying, it's such a shame that we're still talking about. About I still we still have to talk about. It. I mean, it would always be great to celebrate, you know, celebrate women and have a special day. But when it's always linked up to what still has to be done, it can get a little bit. Are we ever going to get there? But do do you think? Yeah. I mean, have uh, is it? Are you in a situation in your life when you know, on the whole, you know, you haven't met any of uh, object objections or obstructions like that or the kind of life experiences that I've had, you know, traveling, going to different countries, going to different cultures, you know, working uh, in uh, like scuba diving, working, you know, on farms, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of probably misogynistic attitudes in these, in these kind of environments, you know, you can't help but come across them. It doesn't mean that it's the prevalent ones, but Uh it does mean, you know, um you do experience them uh and it's uh you know it that's that's a challenge i think that that's a continuing challenge i mean what you're saying i completely agree if you keep celebrating international women's day and then we're like and then this is all this is our to-do list exactly it's a sort of women's world to-do list yeah good way of putting it But I think as well, we've got to think about it as a kind of exciting opportunity because, um, yes, there is a lot of work still to be done. But what we're talking about is a, a huge cultural change. And it's a it's a worldwide, you know, change that we're looking for. And that's not that's not going to happen overnight. You know, yeah, it's taking us several hundred years but there has been there has been achievements we have made progress and it's just a case of kind of keeping going and it's it's very easy to get bogged down with why you know why are we still having this conversation why are we still doing this because we're dealing with a lot of lot of aspects of it you know it's not just a case of you know um right from now on engineering firms are only going to employ women and that's that's it you know that's all we're recruiting for well you can't do that because everything starts 
you know, when you're young, you know, you get role models when you're young. If you see it, you can be it. You know, if you're if you're in school and you're encouraged to do, you know, more techie stuff, or you're encouraged to do more arty stuff, or if you're discouraged from doing any of those things, you know, boys or girls, you know, it's it has an impact on you. And if you you don't see those ideas in children then they're not going to be there. We have, we have a bit of a job getting in uh, to someone's head when they're an adult. So, you know, the changes that have been implemented maybe 20 years ago with encouraging, you know, younger younger uh, generation to get into, you know, more technical industries or mathematics mm-hmm. or, you know, it isn't traditionally female, whatever, um, you know, we'll, we'll start to see the results of that soon you know we'll start to see an increase in that but you you know it's all the last several hundred years of work has been uh, cultivating uh, these opportunities and making that happen it's paved the way and I think that's that's exciting because you go right well we have got to that point you know uh, and now, now they've written stage you know 25 isn't that exciting <laughs> who's worked on farms you know it's you have to we have to kind of I think about it sort of like you know it's a seasonal thing you know you've done your you've done your tilling or whatever and now it's like you know a few green shoots beginning to come through yes exactly can't just stick the seeds down and expect that you'll have a full crop tomorrow it it doesn't work like that and if you're about changing attitudes uh, and and cultural norms, which we are, and we're talking about changing them not on a local scale, but on a global scale. You know, this is something that it's it. You know, you're approaching. It, it's a huge task. So we are still having to have these conversations, but it's a good opportunity to have these conversations when you have something like International Women's Day. You know, it's like keep having this discussion because you know it, the work is still is still going on and will keep going on you know yeah i mean I, I, and also i suppose the other the flip side of it is is that um you know if there are stereotypes for 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 women which certainly have been and still are there's also stereotypes for young men for boys and young men and they don't always suit those particular boys I, I mean I had a conversation with my daughter so this is a long time back uh, about 20 years ago and she she came home with something that she'd made in the metalwork class and I said oh I always wanted to do metalwork and woodwork at school and Mary said to me well why didn't you and I went <laughs> well because girls didn't do those subjects well why didn't they (laughs) I mean it was completely she was completely bamboozled and I said well because because at the time it was the idea was that that boys did those subjects because they would be likely to use them and girls did sewing and cooking and she burst out laughing and said well that was really silly wouldn't it I don't enjoy much sewing and cooking. And actually, the the best person in our cooking class is, and she mentioned a boy's name, who actually yeah. has gone on and, and made his, that's what his job is now. And I mean, I, I was quite um, 
taken aback by that. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. Mm. She just didn't think in those terms altogether. So I thought, well, that's that's good that you know she hasn't she obviously hasn't picked up anything like that from me or her dad. But obviously <laughs> she hasn't picked it up from the school either. So I I I always thought, well, things do change, don't they? Yeah. I still haven't ever done any metal work, but there you go. I'm probably not, probably not going to do it now. I think that's brilliant. That's that's progress, you know. If you yeah. if the thought into your head that that might have been, you know, a thing, then that's that's huge progress. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's fantastic. But you're right. I think it's it's not, you know, it's not just women who are who uh, are, get are influenced by those kind of like gender specific roles um the pressure for for men to be you know the provider or the protector or you know the yeah it's to yeah to only do metal work and yeah. Yeah. it's uh, unfair it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and it's uh yeah either way you look at it it's not it's not it's not right it's not healthy because yeah. i think the, the reason why human being one of the reasons why human beings survive is because you know we work men and women uh we work as a, as a team you know i have to because you know life's horrific sometimes <laughs> uh and uh you know i think it's i think sometimes there's i think there's a, often there's a lot of uh, focus on you know we're all the same you know men and women we're all the same they well but we're not you know there's there are differences you know we do have strengths and uh you know weaknesses in other areas and stuff you know it's not it's it's not a case of just saying well everyone's the same and that's fine now I think uh I think instead of always focusing on uh you know the fact that men and women are totally the same everything's the same you know I think we actually need to start celebrating the differences between the two yes I think absolutely everyone should have equal opportunity to study whatever subject to 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 do anything but I also think that we need to think about you know how we support men and women uh differently you know what the needs are there so for instance you know uh, when it comes to employers if a woman is going to have maternity leave which she's going to have if a woman's going to have a baby she's going to need maternity leave a human being is going to come out of her that's like major surgery she's going to need time to get over that as a physical different end of story right but then there's also the support mechanisms for a woman to go back to work you know is it possible for a woman to go back to work on a part-time basis because for instance if she's breastfeeding or you know or you know even hormonal problems or you know you don't know these are these are very specific to you know to to women Uh, and the support mechanisms for that are specific to women so when we see things like you know well women can do everything and do anything it's not always possible or not you know and I think those kind of things can actually have a negative impact you know Uh, so if you if you've had a child and gone back to work and you're expected to go back to work full time but you still have a lot of commitments at home you know it's it's you can't apply that well everyone's the same 
it put, as you say, it puts pressure on people because, and there's a two parallel pressures because one is, I want to be a really good mum, and the mm. other is, I want to do my job as well as I possibly can, and and it's hard to to find a balance of these, and and maybe that's you know just you've just said a few minutes ago, you know that uh, we we work together. If if uh, if men and women are working together, well, whether it's on a level of a family, I mean, I know your partner's looking after the toddler at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, whether it's on that sort of day to day level within within a, um, a family unit, or whether it's a bit broader within um, yeah a work workplace, if you can get people working together, men and women, that would uh, that would be a big it would be a big benefit to women but actually it would be a big benefit to men as well and yeah. it would be a big benefit to businesses well absolutely yes because you'd be yeah you'd be supporting not just women you'd be supporting the men as well but also uh yeah like how how we how we work in the future how we how we teach people how to work how we you know, how we change how we make much much bigger cultural changes and attitudes towards um you know gender roles or uh, yeah those kind of stereotypes but it needs that i think it needs that kind of bigger holistic change though i think often as well when it comes to kind of you know talking about stereotypes there's a lot of kind of uh pressure on men to kind of go well it's your fault <laughs> I was like well yeah it's it's not it's not that straightforward is it it needs cool. to be we need to think of, like approach it from different angles and we need to keep uh, relearning what it is that um, that supports people you yeah. know what supports men and women because things are changing you know it's, uh, um, it's, every generation has has an opportunity to reassess how we do things, and I think that also um, means that the work has to continue because every generation has an opportunity to reassess how we do things. Yeah. You know, the decisions we made about you know women's rights in the seventies they're not you know they're not all going to be relevant now. They're not all going to be relevant in twenty years' yeah. times. So it's a case of just constantly, constantly uh, working at it. Yeah, that's uh, that's maybe a, a good point to stop, Eileen. You know, on with the phrase, the work has to continue. That's uh, I think that's a a, a a good a good place to stop. And um, thanks so much for uh, being prepared to think about it and uh, and come and come and chat with us. It's been great having you. I'm Lorna Slater, co-leader of the Scottish Green Party. Happy International Women's Day. I believe that women have a unique part to play in the challenges which are presented by the climate emergency and that to tackle this climate emergency, we need to empower women in leadership and in politics and in science, because I think together we can tackle the emergency and solve the climate crisis. You're listening to Indie Live Radio, and that was the end of our third programme in celebration of International Women's Day. In a couple of hours, you can tune in to the fourth and last of our series of programmes. The guests in our fourth programme are Kirsty Hughes, Michelle Thompson, Lynn Copeland, Niget Riaz, Heather Anderson and Julie Bell. 
Find out more about them by tuning in this afternoon at 3 o'clock at Indie Live Radio. Indie Live Radio. The daytime show. Indie 